Welcome to Cloudy with a Chance of Trust, a podcast for digital transformation leaders where we discuss the latest cyber attack issues, enterprise security strategies, and current security events so that you can successfully accelerate network and security transformation. And now here's what's on our mind this week. Welcome everybody to another episode of Cloudy with a Chance of Trust. I have my cohort, Lisa Lorenzen with me. Howdy. And today it's interesting. We're gonna do something a little different. We have actually a special guest. We love our special guests and we love Bill Lapp. So I'm gonna give you a little chuckle here because he hates titles but he's actually leading our technical teams here at Zscaler. Welcome, Bill. We're so happy to have you. Could you go ahead and give us truly an overview of your current role? Because just leading technical teams here at Zscaler is too broad of a term. Yeah, no problem. So what I would say is, yeah, I've always been against titles and things like that, because what you should be doing is the output of your work and what you do that matter. Start out running our pre-sales teams, so our sales engineers, things like that. And I transitioned, actually ran our post-sales, customer success, deployments, how you use our technology, also our technical account managers. People who would take technical tickets have to troubleshoot and resolve them. For a couple of years, I ran our architecture team, which is how does all of this stuff tie together, not just of the technologies Zscaler provides, but also the technologies that customers will have in their environments. And then also the people and process types of things. And actually more recently, I've moved into a role where I don't officially manage or lead anybody anymore which probably won't still stop me from telling people what to do and being a backseat driver, but really just moving into an advisory role. So now I've seen a lot of things go right, seen a lot of things go wrong. And then how can I just individually move around the company and try to help resolve or use that information, but also go to our clients and use all the stuff I've learned from all of our different clients and then apply it to our new clients and what they're trying to do. I'd say, I guess what you could say I am is like from the movie Office Space, you know, I take you know, the stuff from the customer and I go give it to the engineer and what exactly do you do? So I'm kind of that guy now, but maybe you earned that right when you're here at the beginning of the company and you've, you've spent all of your time helping to build it up. I think that's awesome. I think it's really an important role too. Sometimes people think, oh, you're an individual contributor. I'm like, yeah, no, it's awesome because you have flexibility. And because of what you've seen in all the various roles that you've led here at Zscaler, you know what works, what doesn't work, how it will impact a customer, how we need to change. I think that's awesome. So with that being said, today, we're going to do something different to all of our listeners. Instead of talking about technology, we're going to actually talk about how to talk about technology. And there is no one better than Bill to have this conversation with. You are truly a master of the art of explaining technology, Bill. What drives that passion for this craft? Because it is truly a craft. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I don't know if I'd consider myself a master at doing it. What I would say, though, is I don't understand a lot of the deep parts of technology. There's so much out there. I can personally get confused. So for me to understand something, I need to try to simplify in my head what it means or why or what is, what's the purpose of it. And so whenever I see technology, that's what I'm trying to understand. I think when I do that myself, that then helps me try to explain it to somebody else. And at a high level, I'd say, I don't need to explain how something works. I just need to explain why it exists and what it does. And a lot of the details, when you leave those details out, you know, people can fill the details in themselves or you can do it at a later date. So that's probably the most important thing is for me to understand something or to get behind it or to get energy for it. I need to understand it, the why and why it exists and sort of why it's different and what it's for. That makes a lot of sense. It's almost, and this is not intended as an insult, but 
Can you explain it to a five-year-old? Can you explain it to a high school student? Can you explain it to a college student? There's a great series of taking complex technology topics and explaining it at each of those levels. And I would also push back a little on you saying you don't understand it because I think one of the proofs of understanding is being able to simplify something to each of those appropriate levels. Yeah, and it's if you understand sort of the theory or why someone does something or how someone would have built it or why someone made a design decision, you can usually figure out the rest of the stuff without knowing all the details and everything. I don't need to know the calculations of the structural beams in my home or yeah. when I go to build a building, but I kind of know what they're doing and sort of why it is and why you have cross stresses or vertical and horizontal stresses and stuff like why you might do something. But don't ask me to do the calculus because it doesn't really matter. Someone else can do it. There's a calculator or something. But I think that's really where I strive both personally when trying to understand something, but also when trying to explain it because your audience is usually going to be able to have some level of experience around it and they'll fill in the blanks themselves. Absolutely. And there's some great tools for doing that. One of those is visual. Picture paints a thousand words. And traditionally, the whiteboard has been a central tool for these conversations. But now that we've all gone virtual, that's a little more challenging. So how has that presentation evolved in today's virtual world? Yeah, you know, I've actually learned that I use whiteboarding as a tool more now than I ever even did in person. Really? And absolutely. And there's a few reasons, both technically and also communication wise. When I used to be in person, you know, you go to the whiteboard and Honestly, you lose five minutes just trying to find a whiteboard marker that works and isn't dried or worn out. And then you make a mess and your hands get dirty and your back is to the audience. And that can be a challenge. And then the audience comes up and starts to do things. And you don't have a lot of resources at your hand. But what I tried to realize was when I took a step back, too often when we're communicating to people, especially virtually, we're showing PowerPoint, we're showing a picture. So what happens when you show a picture in a Zoom meeting? Someone alt tabs over looks at the picture, says, okay, I get it. And they flip back over and they go back to doing email. And then they let you talk for a bit, assuming you're saying something, but they're not really paying attention because they saw the picture, it's good enough. And on the flip side, I think those of us that present, salespeople, field-facing, and even IT people selling inside of their environment or their company, we use these PowerPoints as a crutch. I've got these slides, I have to show these slides. And the problem is, is the slides are meant to fit every scenario and they have extra information on them and you probably don't fully understand it. And it doesn't guide a conversation. I mean, think about the introduction of slides. They came about, what, 50 years ago when nerds like me would make posters to show to someone in government what I'm doing, like a poster or a brochure. But that's not how we communicated for hundreds and thousands of years. We didn't run around with posters and we didn't run around with a hundred posters. I think back to when I grew up, I went to uh, a Catholic school and I don't know if they use these in other schools, but we had chalkboards, you know, it's a piece of stone and then another piece of stone that we would draw on it. And I wasn't even that old, but you take chalk and you write on a chalkboard. And what happens is all of us, even in the more modern generation, you're used to 20 years of education where someone has a pen or a marking tool and draws a picture while they're talking to you. We are taught at an early age to be engaged. And maybe it was a chalkboard and chalk. Maybe it was an overhead projector. Maybe it is a whiteboard more modern. I really hope teachers aren't going all the PowerPoint, but maybe that's just me. 
But that is a natural human state of how you communicate. You visually see the evolution of a message. Well, there's audio that goes along with it. And so for me, that's why I've liked the ability to use a whiteboard or draw. Now, the second part of the question that you asked was, how has it evolved in today's world? What is interesting is when I start to use a whiteboard, so I join a Zoom meeting, for example, with my computer. And so in front of me, I can see, you know, any screen shares and I see everyone's video. But separately, I put usually a whiteboard tool on my iPad and I join the meeting with my iPad and I have an Apple pen. So it works really good to draw. It's very natural. Now, if someone is presenting a slide to me and I see what they're presenting, if I want to ask a question, I click the annotate button and I actually draw all over the other person's presentation because you can. Zoom and other tools let you write on what's being shared. And so when I'm asking someone a question, it's a lot easier to point to something or draw on it. Now, on the flip side, when I present, I've learned to use whiteboards where I write down things when a customer talks and I write down things when I talk. I'm essentially always writing something down. Some learners are visual learners and they want to be engaged looking at something. Other people are audio learners, and a lot of people use both together. So what's really interesting in a virtual world, to wrap up this question, is people want to know what you're going to draw next. So they don't alt-tab away. It's weird. They just want to know what you're going to draw. So even in introductions, when the customer or someone I'm talking to is telling me who they are, what their title is, and what they do, I'm sharing my screen. I'm sharing my iPad. And I'm drawing out their name and I'm writing down a couple snippets of what they do. And then it's amazing. People pay attention to introductions because they want to know what you're going to write down about them. And every once in a while, I put in something funny or a picture or something. But now all of a sudden, people are staying engaged because they just want to see what you're going to write. No matter if it's good or bad, they don't know what's coming. And so when you start from beginning to end, pairing a visual that builds over time with your communication the engagement level goes way up, even if you're really bad at it. Like I am, I'm a very messy writer. My handwriting is horrible. I mentioned I went to Catholic school, so I learned cursive, not print. It's pretty bad. <laughs> Bill, I think you touched on something that's really important for the listeners. When I've watched an essay or an essay, go ahead and review a presentation. To your point, who they're presenting to is actually looking at the presentation. They're scanning the page. They're picking their pieces out. And they may derail the entire conversation where you wanted that conversation to go to. And then I've watched you and some of the actual essays and SEs do it with whiteboards. And I've watched specifically you, where you've actually led the conversation. Where do you want to take it based on what the actual customer was originally setting the meeting up for to understand? And it really is, like you said, they're engaged. They're watching. They want to see what you're going to do, which is so different than presenting just off of a standard PowerPoint. It's really interesting. Have you found there's any additional preferred tools that help besides your iPad and your iPen for the conversations of doing this through a whiteboarding session? Yeah. First off, what I just to build on a comment you mentioned, I think people are afraid of whiteboards or tools like that when communicating to a customer and they want to use a PowerPoint as a crutch. What I found is it gives you far more control and it's far easier. People think that when you do a whiteboard, it's wide open and the customer can take you anywhere and they can do anything you want. And then how do I ever explain this? Or what am I going to draw? And everything's different. And it has to be ad hoc. What I'll say is I could share and show you all of my whiteboard discussions with customers for the past six years. 
And the irony of it is everything I've done looks the exact same, but to the customer or to the person listening, it doesn't. And that's because what I'm sharing and the message I'm giving and what I'm doing hasn't really changed. And customers aren't really as different as they think. We're all doing the same messed up things. We've all grown up the same way over time. You're maybe 5% different, not 95% different. So when I open the meeting and I'm doing introductions, one of the first things I always do, and I, I wish we did it for any meeting, technical or not, is I ask the people in the meeting, what do they want to get out of today for this hour or two hours to be extremely useful? And so then they tell you. And when they tell you, you write it down. And the trick is, I have the pen. So I write down what they say in my words, not theirs, but it's close enough. So they let me do it. But I write those things down. And sometimes what they say, I don't write down because I don't want to cover it. I don't want to do it. So next thing you know, I have this list of what you will want to cover, what you want to do. And it's my list, really. But also when you ask them what they want to get out of the meeting, they're always going to tell you, ask someone anything, hey, how's your day or how's the weather? Or what's good about your day? They're going to immediately tell you five things that are bad. But when they tell you that, I also tend to write down any challenges or things they want to do. So I start out every conversation with a written recipe for that meeting. It looks like it's 100% customized to that person. In reality, everyone wants to talk about the same thing or they wouldn't be talking to me. All I'm really doing is writing the same thing down. I've always written down and it looks custom, but it's not. And it helps me guide the rest of the meeting and control it because I can point back and say, you wanted to do this thing. Now, in terms of tools, when I first started to do this, I would just grab any old whiteboard tool. In fact, I didn't even have an iPad once or a tool that I could buy. I was off on vacation and someone said I had to do a meeting. So come to find out, you can just take your iPhone, point it down at a piece of paper, share the video. And I use this thing called paper and Crayola crayons. And I literally did the entire whiteboard with paper and crayons. And it looked perfect because I just took my phone on like a chair and pointed it down at a piece of paper and wrote and it looked great. So don't oh, let technology cool. get in the way is the first thing I would say. Now, with that said, technology can help. So I've really found that most of the whiteboard apps that you can get online are really bad in terms of performance. I found a tool recently called Explain Everything. Ironically, I think it's for teachers and professors. But what it lets you do is, yes, draw, do colors, erase, and all that. But it lets me actually insert images into a whiteboard, and then it lets me save it as a template. So what I've actually done is I sort of have a canvas. On the left side of the whiteboard, I have 20 slides, pictures. I just took a screenshot of the slide deck. So on the left-hand side, I have all of these pictures of our slides. It's our corporate deck and standard messaging. The nice thing about the whiteboard tools is you can zoom in and zoom out. So I can sort of zoom out and I see them all off to the side. In the middle of the whiteboard, I have a template of just a couple of basic pictures that I found I almost always use and always draw. So it's there. I don't have to repeat it every time and start from scratch. And then on the right-hand side of my sort of canvas, I have some typical requirements customers would have or use case. So I say that as a template. When I go into a conversation with a customer, in two seconds, I can click new. It pops it up. Some of it's already handwritten. I maybe put in some research I did ahead of time. Maybe I insert an image, a logo, or just like you were to the PowerPoint or prep it a bit, but I'm like ready to go. And if I ever need to go off script or bring up a slide or something, I don't have to open a PowerPoint and change my share. I just pinch out 
so I can see everything on my canvas and I see the slides on the left and then I zoom in and I can show a slide. It becomes very natural because if you use that template for yourself over and over again, and essentially you're drawing the same thing over and over again, it gets really easy to be agile ready to the customer. You look like a magician. You're moving around. You're talking about things. You're drawing stuff out. You're reacting to what they say. In reality, you're just doing the same corporate pitch that you've done with the PowerPoint for years. You just happen to be drawing it yourself and drawing a picture that you already know what it looks like. I think that's one of the paths to mastery is to be able to do the same thing over and over again, refine your message, but at the same time, make it feel like it's very personalized. And I have to admit, you talked about PowerPoint being a crutch. I have a kitchen sink deck that has literally 130 slides in it. And that is my crutch. And I use it in every conversation. But the benefit there is you're not going to go through 130 slides. I'll use 12 of them because we start the conversation very similar, that active listening. What do you want to get out of it? Let's capture that at the beginning. I'm going to say it back to you so I understand it. And then kind of bounce around. And the one benefit I found from that is I can then offer them that entire set as a reference following up. So what do you give them as an artifact coming out of these conversations? It's a really good point. I've almost purposely chosen not to put a lot of like those slides and images in. That's why I only have like 12 or so in there, just because sometimes drawing that picture out. And it's not because I want to present the slide. It's just for me to draw it, it would take too long. And we have it already as a picture. And then I can just mark that slide up. So in reality, the only slides I include in my sort of setup are the slides I would want to draw on. And that purposely makes me focus my message on simplicity. If I can't go deep to one of the 130 slides, then I can't go too deep for them because it would take too long. And if I can convey the concept to them, that's what's really important. And so I really just always try to go back to the concept of what we do versus how I do it. And again, if I can draw that concept out, you don't have a lot of time to draw something really complicated. So I try to draw simple. Then they can look under the hood. One other reason why I think that's important is I've had a lot of people recently say, Bill, you just spent an hour and you explained all this, but you actually never even mentioned the product name once. You didn't mention ZIA or ZPA or any of those things. And I was like, because it doesn't really matter because the customer doesn't know your acronym anyways. All you want them to do is say, I want to buy that thing that goes out to the internet. Yeah, what does that cost? And if they tell me that, then I'll tell them what the acronym is, fine. But it doesn't really matter otherwise. Now on the leave behind, I just say whatever I've talked about, my leave behind typically, you know what everyone always wants? My chicken scratch whiteboard, which I don't (laughs) know why, because I don't think they're going to understand what I wrote because it looks very messy by the end, but they want it. I will oftentimes then send the deck or the PowerPoint or a subset of it to the customer as reference to explain what the chicken scratch is. Absolutely. But that's the difference between presenting and a document. Yeah. And that's where I think we get confused and we don't execute well in communicating technical topics to customers. We give them a document instead of a presentation. Absolutely. So you kind of talked a little bit about some of the things that maybe someone would maybe not do right. I won't say wrong in having a technical conversation. What are some of those things that are common that you see that others have done where you'd be like, oh, why'd you do that? Oh, why did you? What should people think about not doing? I think we too oftentimes try to explain stuff that just doesn't matter. A customer asks us a question and we answer the question. But the hardest thing and the most valuable thing we do is give someone what they need, not what they want. 
give someone what they are trying to achieve, not give them what they ask for. My CEO will ask for metrics all the time. I want this metric, that metric, this. And I always go back and say, well, what are you trying to do with those metrics? And he'll tell me, I say, well, that, those aren't the right metrics. So I'm going to give you a different set of metrics. And if you don't like them, tell me, and I'll go redo it the way you want. But I'm going to try to give you what you need. And in a technical conversation, I, I see that all the time. Someone says, well, can you do such and such thing? Can you do Azure document tagging? Or can you do that? And, and I always am like, okay, why? What are you trying to actually do? Because especially when you're doing a transformational sale or transformational technology like us, I don't do things the way everyone else does it. And I think you have to think about technology in basic terms. So for years, hundreds and thousands of years, we plowed fields with a horse and a plow and hay, and we had horseshoes and we had breeds of horses and feed that we did and stables. And there's a whole ecosystem and you have staff and you have people that muck out poop and everything else. But if I'm selling a tractor, and I go to talk to that person to sell them a tractor. First off, I don't have to do a bunch of discovery because I know they need a tractor. It's better. That person who owns the horse isn't going to be asking me the right questions. But what they're trying to achieve is the same thing. And I say with our technical teams, what we get wrong is I answer the questions or I try to explain how something works. The best thing we can do is take a step back and say, what are you trying to do and why? Because sometimes they're not even trying to do the right thing. And then I answer a way to do it, not how it works. And that's probably the best advice I can give because when you explain to me how a watch works or how winemaking works, whew, I don't care. <laughs> I'm like, I don't understand that stuff at all. Well, and to your point, you're not talking about, hey, it's an Omega watch or it's a Rolex watch. You're just talking about the watch, which was your point earlier about you don't need to talk about names or products. It's how does this all work? Yeah. I need to go into space. Do you have something that will tell time in space? I need to yeah. go dive to a thousand feet. Do you have something that works for that? Now, if someone's trying to tell me why their watch is so awesome and I should buy it and it's amazing, and they start telling me about space and going to a thousand feet depth, I'm like, why am I buying a watch for that? I'm not going in space. I'm not going down that deep. If they actually tell me like, why would I buy it? The real answer is because it's a collector's item and other people value it and it's a good store of value. So forget all the features and everything else because the features don't matter. You're buying this Omega or Rolex because it is a piece of technology that is really cool that other people are going to want and you can usually sell on the open market for more in the future. Now, at least you're being honest and that's why I would really buy it. So if you had to boil this down, the 60 second, you're trying to share insights about a technology to one of your stakeholders. So our listeners need to communicate, to build consensus, to educate within their organization. What is the single thing you would say that they should do within those conversations within their organization? I think first and foremost, you take a step back and you have to understand what is the differentiation or the sustainable differentiation in your message. What is it that someone should care about? Why is it that you exist? And what is it that you do that's different? Too often people try to communicate about what's good and what they're good at. It doesn't matter what you're good at if everyone else is good at it too. That's why every vendor sounds the same out there because we're all good at stuff. But what are the things that you're good at that no one else is good at? Or what is it in your message that is different than all the other messages? So if you're going to a QBR to talk about the business, Talk about the three things that are actually different or wrong or good, not all the rest of the stuff. You'll just assume the other stuff is there and it's fine. So that is first and foremost is understand 
what the real core piece of your message is that matters. Then you can use a very simple way to explain it, either through whiteboarding or a very simple slide if you want it. But engage your audience, and I typically like to draw that out and get them a part of the message and include them in building that message. So simplified differentiated message, and then how can you draw that out and enroll the listener in what you're presenting? And whiteboarding is my tool for that. Cool. That reminds me of one of my favorite TED Talks. And it's fairly old now. It's probably over a decade old. Simon Sinek said, start with why. And then once you've established why they should care, then you could get into the what and maybe even into the how, but you have to start with why. Look, I like good wine. I know why I like certain types of wine. I don't really care about all the fancy words and stuff it takes to make that wine. You just ruined the wine for me by telling me all the details behind it. I go into it. I just want to know what's good about it. Well, listen, this has been wonderful. And thank you, Bill, so much for all your insight. I've actually watched you whiteboard. And I think it's always amazing how the conversation is so very different when you're doing your whiteboard sessions versus just sitting, listening to someone go over PowerPoints. Really appreciate it. And thanks for joining us. And for everybody else, thanks for tuning in with us today. You know, we've covered a lot of ground on tools and techniques for communicating around technology. And it's not an easy topic, Lord knows. But we hope this has given you some ideas for effective conversations, and we look forward to you joining us another time on an episode of Cloudy with a Chance of Trust. Take care. Thanks for listening to Cloudy with a Chance of Trust. Check back with your podcast provider regularly for more episodes. You can find Lisa Lorenzen and Pam Kubiatowski on the CXO Revolutionaries website at revolutionaries.zscaler.com or on LinkedIn. Statements by Zscaler podcasters and guests are informational only and should never be construed as legal advice. You should consult with your legal advisor on matters related to you or your business. Zscaler makes no warranties, express, implied, or statutory as to the content of this podcast, and it is provided as is. Content on this podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are current as of the date of recording and subject to change. These statements are subject to the safe harbor provisions created by the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Full legal disclaimers are available at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Copyright 2022.